Welcome to Job Tales. I'm Laura Leoncini and this is the podcast where you listen to professional stories from all walks of life and find the job that suits you. Today I'm talking to Conrad Riddle, Vice President HR Shared Services at a hospitality company in Texas, USA. He has a good personal story of how to leverage skills of math and strategy in the world of human resources. Conrad Riddle, thank you so much for being a guest at my podcast. I would like to start right away with your title that I found on LinkedIn, which is Conrad Riddle, MBA, PHR. Can you describe what that means? Yeah, there's a lot of acronyms. And thank you, Laura, (laughs) for having me today. VP of HR, Vice President of Human Resources Shared Services is my title, which is a really confusing way, honestly, to say that uh, what my job is, is that I manage all the different backbone infrastructure systems, the technology that goes into managing people for my organization. Mm -hmm. MBA means that I went for my graduate degree. I got a master's in business administration from the University of California in Irvine. You gave me another acronym. Which one am I missing? PHR. PHR. Yeah, that is another certification. That's a professional in human resources. Uh Okay. So that's something that you know, school will teach you a lot of things, I think, especially around how to think and how to work and how to collaborate. It isn't always the best vehicle for learning hard skills on how to actually do a job. So I went out and knew that I wanted to be in the HR space when I had graduated from college and found that I was missing some basic information I needed to be able to successfully do that. And the PHR certification helped fill in that gap. So what are the compliance and procedure things that you need to know to successfully work in HR? PHR is a great way to bridge that gap. So that means you already knew that you wanted to work in HR, meaning you were exposed to something related to HR. What was it uh, when you were younger? And then at college, what studies did, let's say, lead you into that profession, even if not completely? Yeah, it was a couple different college internships that helped me realize that I had a passion for HR. So the first one being, and this is still the thing that everybody wants to talk about on my resume when I'm in an interview, is that I actually did an undergrad internship at Disneyland in Southern California. I was going to the University of California at Riverside for my undergraduate business degree, and I was already a Disney nut having grown up in Southern California. And there was the Disney College program, you know, holding information sessions for people to go intern in Anaheim, California at the Disneyland Park. So I jumped at that opportunity. And that wasn't really HR focused in any way. It was a lot of great skills around how to do your elevator pitch, how to write a resume, some basic life skills that I think a college career center could have just as easily taught, but it was certainly fun to do it with a Disney twist. Mm. And then you also got to spend some time actually working in the park. And so you build up some of that work ethic, some of that work experience. And then when that program was done, and I loved it, but I think it lasted about six months, then they were looking for people to help recruit future students into the program by region. Mm, I see. And I raised my hand for that, saying, you know, besides my university, there were probably three or four others in the immediate area that Disney was also recruiting college students at. And then my job was to help seed the campus before the actual Disney employees showed up on site to give the presentation. So going through dorms and hanging door hangers, holding information booths in the quad, all those sorts of things. And that was really my first taste of recruiting. I don't think I realized I was doing it yet, but really I was I was recruiting college interns into Disney's internship program. 
so that wrapped up and then I had another internship where I actually went to Washington DC and worked for a nonprofit. Now, nonprofits run on a shoestring budget and I thought I would be doing something like answering phones or because it was a nonprofit maybe dialing for donations on the phone, but my expectations were too low because I showed up <laughs> and I got put in the HR office. And I was in charge of doing their annual compliance audit on their 401k retirement savings plan. They were a nonprofit, so it was 403b. But essentially, here I was, you know, a college student, didn't yet have my degree, and I was filing compliance paperwork with the IRS relative to a retirement plan. And How about that? It, it was insane. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> learned it was quite a, a you know, bit. Throw there. you in the pool and learn to swim, hopefully, moment. Yeah. And so, what was your major in college? It was business administration. Now you got to pick an emphasis and I did pick HR, but that was heavily influenced later in college by my two internship experiences. That's great because then you were you know, still very young and you, you, you started right away in HR. And, and then now today, fast tracking into your present job. I find it very interesting because it's a very you know, specific spin of HR, the HR world. You know, HR, you can do a lot of different um, professions within HR. What, what is your daily job? Yeah, so my daily job, my team and I, we support the different systems that our employees engage with throughout the entire life cycle of working for my company. So if you go and you apply for a job that's happening on a website that's hosted by the company, and then if you're ultimately hired, you're these days issued an offer letter online, and then you complete your onboarding paperwork online, and then your record gets transferred over to a payroll and human capital management system where basically all of your information resides about us knowing how to pay you and where you live and what your job is. Then from there, you have performance reviews. You probably have an annual merit cycle where we're evaluating your rate of pay and whether that makes sense on a go-forward basis. Then you're enrolling in benefits. And ultimately, then you may be evaluated for promotions in the future. All of that work that used to happen on pen and paper now happens in software. And it is my team's job to ensure that all the different platforms we have in all those different spaces are tied together and have a easy experience for our users, whether that's our managers or actually our uh, frontline employees. I see. Well, that's quite a bit of work. Um, and we were chatting before the the interview started that you don't actually work on the programming side of things. Yeah, we lean into our partners, our software vendors. So nobody on my team is actually coding. Some of us have some light coding skill set, but you know, we're not sitting down writing software and developing software. Uh, we're evaluating what other vendors have out in the market. So I spend a significant amount of my time attending conventions where those software vendors are presenting their solutions, sitting on demos, partnering with other members of the HR leadership team and other leaders in my organization, trying to evaluate really which of these software packages are going to meet the needs of our business. It's something that's maybe unique compared to other IT jobs where we really have to start with a business need. And if we ever start rolling out software without understanding what the needs of the business are, we're going to deliver a solution that doesn't actually solve the problems of the business. So we always have to ensure that we understand business, that we understand how our company makes money or maybe where we have additional expenses that we're looking to minimize or control. 
Hmm. And those are usually somewhere in one of those categories are the problems of the business. And then how can we invest in software that already exists? Is it complementary to the other software we're already using? And can we bring it in and solve some of those problems, find some of those efficiencies, help people make more money, spend less money, deliver more value to the bottom line of the business? Now, from from HR manager and, you know, being responsible for, you know, human resources uh, in other companies, as I can see from your profile, you must have gained as well some experience in computer science, at least on the IT side of human resources. Was that a, did you feel that gap through experience or did you go to a specific grad study or post-grad study about this? No, it was really learned by experience. So, you know, I described earlier what my undergrad internships were. And I started out out of college in a very kind of HR generalist, non-specific HR job. I was the HR person for my office. And, you know, I was the person directly engaging with the frontline employees in my office. Mm. The more time I spent in HR, the more I gravitated towards more systems and process and numbers. I have the strange dichotomy of wanting to serve the people mission of a business, because really I think that's where a lot of the work is. And most companies these days say that their number one asset is their people, right? Yeah. Innovation comes from people. You get ahead relative to your competitors by investing in the right people. So HR is a really cool place to be because that's where business investment's happening. At the same time, I like to optimize processes and manage numbers. So I moved from an HR generalist job over into benefits because I was still helping people, but it was very much insurance and understanding claims. And you had to have processes and procedures for managing the massive amount of claims and you know premiums that are being collected from payroll. And then at that point in benefits, your job's almost half HRIS, right? You're, you're managing deductions in payroll. You have file feeds of enrollment in all the different benefit plans that are going from your systems out to MetLife and Blue Cross Blue Shield and United Healthcare and all the carriers. And I had that for a while on my resume. And then I said, you know what? I'm halfway in on HRIS. I really love the HRIS side of my job and actually pitched to my VP that there was a job in our organization that didn't yet exist that needed to be brought into existence. Okay. And I actually pitched my own executive job and was able to get it. And that's where I am today. Can you, for the layman, just say what is HRIS? Yeah, it's HR Information System. So it's where all the people information is saved, and there's usually a team of people reporting them. Now, different companies build this different ways. Mm. Sometimes that team sits in HR, sometimes it sits with IT, okay. and sometimes it sits with payroll uh, in finance. And we're kind of in the middle, we're the, we're the intersection between those three different teams. It's not as dry as finance or IT or pure HR, if mm. you forgive me saying, but I like that it's the intersection of those things where we take some of those concepts and actually apply them in the real world. Okay. So do you still have a direct contact with say, the human resources of your company or is it now, you know, I, do you have like a screen in front of you where, where your the resources are actually interacting through those IT services and systems that you have built? My company is doing a good job keeping me integrated in the HR business. You know, I report to the chief HR officer of my company. We view HR as our primary customer, kind of our internal customer. But we also have other important customers like IT, like finance and payroll. 
And just like any other you know, software company, we have to keep an eye on where our customers are. We're serving employees, we're serving hotels, but at the end of the day, we're following the lead of some of our close partners here in the company. That's very interesting. And now talking about hospitality, because uh, your present company works in hospitality. Now, when you have crafted that the skill, you know, of you know, in the IT services, you know, merging HR and IT, is it transferable to other sectors, or is there like a kind of a field rouge that you can then export to different jobs if if you so wish, or is there specificity in the hospitality? You know, I think you always need to understand the business you're working in to be good at this job. But the best part about it is that it is very transferable. Mm. So I started out, my first job in HR out of college was for a, a software company. And I didn't really know very much about software. I got exposed to a lot of things working there and, and learned about the business while I was there. But my first job was to be HR. And that was my expectation was that I was I was going to provide HR services to this company. Yeah. Okay. Of course, you were talking about, you know, IT and, and relation. It makes me think of AI. Just this morning, I was uh, watching TV, the news, and then there was a, a reportage about uh, about how the new technology affects actually looking for a job, finding a job and being screened for that job. What is your take on it and what's your experience about it? Yeah, we're in a really interesting time right now where... You don't have to go back that far in HR where it was still very much paper processes. And a large part of my career to date has been moving those paper or maybe even Excel Word document processes into software with process flows and controls. The next wave that's coming that we're looking for is going to be infusing AI into those systems. Mm -hmm. So rather than a manager having to log into a software platform and make a decision, that manager is presented with probably the best possible option or a short menu of best options. And then they're making decisions on the go, but with the aid of AI in the tool. So an easy example to comprehend is when you open a job as a manager, you're hiring for a new position, you get a ton of applicants. Right. We, Despite a lot of the talk that's out in public, there's still many more applicants than there are jobs. Yeah. And a really hard part of filtering that down is just spending the amount of time reading resumes and understanding who are the candidates I should really be looking at. Because there's kind of junk applications, then there's going to be people that are honestly overqualified for the job. So you're trying to hone maybe 50 different applications down to who are the five people I should really be focusing my time on. And there's a great value there in giving time back to managers so that they can focus on other value-adding activities besides reading through resumes day in and day out. So that's a really exciting application. Now, at the same time, there's a dark side to that because AI is only as smart as the data it has to reference from the past. Right. So if your company, for example, whether on purpose or not, has discriminatory practices historically, you know, they've hired people that have only gone to certain colleges or only come from certain parts of the country, or, you know, hopefully not, this is a fictional, <laughs> a fictional scenario, but you're only hiring people from certain countries or speak certain languages or certain genders, then the AI is going to recognize that pattern in the data and assume that the people that you've hired in the past are a good indication of the people you want AI to be focused on in the hmm. future. Now you can try and control for that, but I think there's a lot of risk, especially in the hiring space where discrimination is of concern. Right. In my mind, AI presents a huge opportunity, 
but we need to be careful. We cannonball into the into the AI pool and then try and figure it out while we're in there. We need to enter very carefully and with a plan so that we're not just taking bad past practices and and automating them. That's good. So basically, there must be ways of adjusting or incorporating, you know, counteract of what AI might be doing, let's say, allow me the word wrong, by human intervention. Is that what happens? Or uh, how does the correction work? So what's interesting and what we've seen so far is that, you know, the vendors are, software vendors are all very rapidly trying to inject as much AI into their offerings as possible. It's a buzzword. Senior leaders love to say we're harnessing AI. You know, it's the sort of thing that a CEO would love to take to Market Street and and watch their stock soar on, hey, we, we beat everyone to AI. But those software vendors that are selling it because there's a demand for it also have a black box on their algorithm. So when I sit in these meetings and I'm talking to vendors that want to pitch us AI solutions, they won't tell us how the AI is built. And that's because that's how they make their money, right? And they're worried about their competitors kind of copying their work and benefiting from their R&D, from their Mm -hmm. research and development. But it's very unsettling in the employer seat when, you know, a large part of my job is evaluating these different software platforms and deciding whether it is a good investment for the company. Another thing I need to have an eye on is, am I introducing a massive risk to the company? Maybe there's all these upsides but whether it's a legal risk or a financial risk, we, we can't be introducing things that have a potential massive downside. Uh, so I am currently worried about the downside. The vendors do tell us, you know, they're taking those countermeasures, but they're not transparent about what they are exactly. So they seem to be leaning into, of all places, academia, because I think they look at universities and say, well, universities aren't trying to make money off this. We can take our data set to universities and they can certify under the name of their university that the algorithm is non-discriminatory. So that's kind of been their latest approach, but again, it's still very non-transparent and I think the results will speak for themselves, but it's all still very early. Um, Now, looking at, you know, in general, the IT approach, uh, you know, going just beyond AI and then just the, the IT support of the HR services. And you were mentioning a few of those domains that um, that, that, that you touch on in your work. And when I think of a young man, a young woman who are going just now into the job market and need to apply, and of course, there's, like you said, there's hundreds, if not thousands of applicants. What does make them stand out and how should they go about it? Like, how should they be able to navigate through this process in order to find a job, for example, in HR, you did years ago? Yeah, I think what's really important is having some sort of work history. So I will forever be an advocate for the undergraduate internship. Uh, I think you need to have had some level of experience, ideally, to understand whether you like something or, or whether you don't like something. The other thing that I'll recommend to somebody who's starting out in their career is try and find a startup. I benefited greatly from my first real job out of college being a startup. Because when you're at a startup, money is tight and resources are even tighter. But you're all working together towards something. So if you say, hey, I think I can help with X. You know, I, I think we would benefit from having a better payroll platform than we have today. No one's going to tell you no. Hmm. They're going to let you pitch things as if you're a senior executive, even though you're fresh out of college, because everyone's just trying to get something done. Whereas if you go to a Fortune 500 company, 
you're going to start at the very bottom of the ladder and you might spend the next several decades trying to get up to a position where you have some authority and the ability to make some real decisions on behalf of the company. So I see. treat startups as kind of your your learning ground. It's, it's a safer place to make mistakes. And uh, no one's going to be telling you that's not your job. Okay. Talking about mistakes, have you done it? <laughs> have you made a few mistakes? And what have you learned from those? I've definitely made mistakes. I think... The biggest one that's more of a macro mistake than a specific mistake is I have overachiever tendencies. So I will <laughs> stay at the office as late as I need to stay to get all of the work done. And I am approaching my 40s, learning the lesson and having kids and a family back at home helps you learn this lesson the hard way that work will fill as much of your life as you let it fill. If one of my my managers once earlier in my career had a very large desk and I made a comment once. I'm like, you know, with a desk that, and it was always messy and full of papers. And I said, with a desk that large, you'd think you wouldn't have that much paper. And they, they kind of looked at me dead eyed and said, Conrad, it doesn't matter how large your desk is. <laughs> you will fill whatever desk size you have. And, and that metaphor has stuck with me that that is work. You want to make right. sure you're focused on the right work. You want to do your job well. But there very rarely is, it's not a video game where you unlock an achievement and you get a badge and I beat the game. Like work is a discipline. So mm. it's a marathon. If I can mix metaphors, you know, yeah. don't sprint through every work day. Just make sure on a week to week, month to month basis, you're focused on the right things, moving the important work forward and let some of that urgent work fall by the wayside because just because it's urgent doesn't mean it's important. Mm, okay. So are you following your own advice now? I am improving. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am on a road to recovery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent. And then is, is there anything else that you say, okay, in hindsight, this is something I would have done differently had I known, for example? So in hindsight, I would say, enjoy the phase of life that you're in. I've been very career focused and it's honestly been good for me. I have a great job at a company that I like working for and I don't regret any of that. What I might regret is that in my, when I was in college, I was so focused on trying to get a job and enter the real world. And then when I had a job and I entered the real world, I was so focused on making that next promotion, becoming a manager. And as soon as I was a manager, I wanted to be a director. And as soon as I was a director, I wanted to be an executive. And I'm entering a place in my life now where for the first time I'm trying to enjoy the phase of life that I'm in. Again, having kids and having a family and realizing that there's kind of a time-restricted clock on that phase of life has helped. Uh, but that's true at, at every phase that I look back at. You never get to relive your 20s. You never get to relive college. So do the important things, but don't, don't overdo them and make sure you have fun each step along the way. Super. Thank you, Laura. It's been very interesting talking to you. Thank you, Laura. I enjoyed the time. Great suggestion, Conrad. Thank you for your time. You have listened to another episode of Job Tales. You can follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you have a guest to recommend, write me at jobtalespodcast, one word, at gmail.com. Just remember, it's T-A-L-E-S.